Woo-hoo. Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. And a good, good Tuesday. Yeah. I feel like I've been saying that every Tuesday. We've been on a roll recently. Well, I feel like every Tuesday is the best day because we get to have this date time. It's so much fucking fun. And thank you all for giving us an excuse to do this. It is uh, one of our great joys each week. It's the best. We get accountability for having a date each week. It's yeah. great. It's going to be it. so clutch when this baby is born because we're just going to get to check in on random shit, which I think is pretty much the basis of our entire relationship like on our first date at that ice cream joint we spent three hours talking about random shit and it's like oh this is the person who i want to talk to about like politics and snacks for the rest <laughs> of my damn life what a good merging what a good merging but it's also a really good week because we have a new toy coming yes and i am so excited for this i feel like i'm like hit on christmas and i've been like checking the delivery status yeah. i'm pumped so are you that excited for this big green vibrator that we have coming. <laughs> I love it. I was going to go in that direction. I was going to say, shockingly, yeah. this is one toy where the less it vibrates, the more productive it is. <laughs> Wait, there's no such thing. What could possibly be better if it vibrates less? An elliptical. Oh, that's so true. The more stability you can have on an elliptical, the better. And I don't know, how is it that we've held out this long with getting an elliptical? We've, yeah. I mean, we've invested more in our home gym than we have in any other area in our house. <laughs> it's like the one priority we have in terms of building things out and we've waited so long to get a fundamental machine yeah our house is full of radon uh the carpets are 25 years old and have <laughs> pee stains all over them but our home gym is fucking banging it's great um i'm actually kind of shocked too because we're both big fans of the elliptical as coaches um as athletes i think it's a great um all-in-one like cross training but also pretty similar to running device something that we both have excelled with in the past um and i think it does bring us back all the way toward our first date which was almost 12 years ago now we're coming up on it that is wild high five boo yeah um it's pretty pretty cool that 12 years later we're about to have a, a little boy um but what i remember is right after we had seen each other just a few times i went to the gym with you i was just doing my law school work over on a computer on a stool and you were in an elliptical like seven feet away and I'll never forget that site. I have mentioned it on this podcast before, but it has stuck with me in a traumatic way, <laughs> um, which is Megan hops on the elliptical and puts her arms on the on the bars. And for the next 75 minutes, looks like she is punching the air as fast as she possibly can at like 120 RPMs and gets off and you're throwing sweat on everybody. I'm talking like the attendants that are 25 feet away selling like snacks and things. It was one of the most remarkable athletic achievements I've ever seen. Also a little bit horrifying. Actually, that brings up two really important points. So when I was, this was at Duke and yeah. they had this one reject elliptical that I loved and I would try to hop on that elliptical because it was, it was, the sole elliptical in a room with a TV yeah. and no one could watch me in there. I didn't feel judged. <laughs> I didn't feel embarrassed, but it was gone that day. Oh no. And it's like, this is the true test of the waters of our relationship. We're going to figure out what you think. But actually the other thing about the elliptical is I would look for the grade of the carpets yeah. because if there was like a real like, like black floor, you could see the trajectory of my sweat being <laughs> flung everywhere via droplets. But if there was gray carpet, it would just get absorbed and you yeah. couldn't see it. Well, anything can be an indoor pool if you're just elliptically nearby. <laughs> It's pretty freaking epic. Actually, if you heard any breathing right there, Addie Dog just came by as we were talking. She got so into the stoke of the elliptical, and then I said her name, and she just came by again. Uh, right now, it's Addie. In a few weeks, it's going to be a baby boy. It's pretty intense with podcast recording. And yeah, so 
um, that elliptical, seeing that, was remarkable because you went straight from doing that, those types of hard workouts um, after field hockey, to rocking it on the track. You were all ACC right away. And I think that those two are connected, that the elliptical was a great transition point from where you know you had this great strength, you had good talent, um, but then it let you translate it to running when you couldn't really sustain high mileage yet because you were just getting into the sport. Well, I think it's interesting actually to compare the elliptical to the bike. Yeah. So for me, I've actually always thrived off of biking and I'm a rare athlete in that my biking heart rate, so the max heart rate that I can get to on the bike is actually parallel to what I can get to on the elliptical. So oftentimes on the elliptical, it's a full body workout. As you talked about, I'm swinging my arms like it's (laughs) like I'm, you know, just hustling to a job interview the entire (laughs) workout. And you don't do that on the bike. And so naturally, sometimes for athletes, the heart rate can be higher on the elliptical, much like Nordic skiing. Whereas for me, I think I've just, I've built up my leg strength over time that I can do both equally. So I can get my heart rate high on the elliptical on the bike. But I think the other, the added benefit about the elliptical is you have some of that weight bearing component um, compared to the bike. I think it really works the glutes and high hamstrings in a way that's a little bit more running specific than the bike. And so I think pairing bikes and ellipticals together, great for transitioning to running. Yeah. And as we've been talking about Kipchoge and Killian and all these other complex training topics, we always talk about layering and aerobic work, doubles and things like that. What great opportunities if you have access to these sorts of equipment. Like uh, from my personal experience with elliptical, in 2013, I had a hip labrum issue um, that was so bad. I was scheduled for surgery. And while I was waiting for surgery, I hopped on the elliptical just to, you know, kill some time, essentially. I had never really done it that much before, though I had seen Megan do it. So I had this model for what it could look like. And she taught me how to do it to a certain way, um, just with a little bit less sweat. I couldn't do all (laughs) what she did for 75 minutes in a row. I could only do it for like a minute or two at a time. You couldn't fling your sweat on all the gym goers. Yeah, it was bad, Megan. I can't get over what you did to people on the ellipticals that were next to you. You cleared out a radius <laughs> around you wherever you went. It was amazing. Um, but what I did is I you know, did that. Um, my labrum cleared up and I was able to avoid surgery. Um, and what I found is all of my breakthroughs happened in the 2014 season after I had done that. I think it's because I was able to build up my lactate threshold in a way that I never could with run because on the elliptical, you're able to do a lot more work and I was able to build it up really sustainably. And so I came back the next year and made the U.S. Mountain Team, won the 10K National Championships, did all of these things at a higher level than I ever had. And I think some of that's running. I think a lot of that is this machine and building up aerobic work that I wasn't able to do with running. And I think the nice thing too is oftentimes I think it's great for a 30-minute double, whereas sometimes I think it's really hard to get in a productive 30-minute double on the bike. Like you're just working into things, your heart rate's just getting higher. Whereas on the elliptical, like you can get on and bang out a 30-minute productive double. And I think that translates probably to like a 60 minute double on the bike and so it's I think for me it's it's short it's sweet it's efficient and it works really well that being said I think not every elliptical is created equal I did a ton I was on YouTube all day yesterday looking at these different ellipticals and which one we wanted because there's certain and I think not every arc trainer is created equal but some of the arc trainers like quote-unquote arc trainers that I've seen yeah the 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 trajectory of the motion it kind of looks like an Instagram model that's like <laughs> running has only run once in their entire yeah. life. It's such a big arc that you're working through um, that I don't think biomechanically it translates to running as well. So I think personally for us, we love the front drive ellipticals oh, yeah. that have a slightly smaller range of biomechanical motion. And I think it's more specific to just how how it translates to running. The Instagram model comment is very insightful. Like it is one of the weirdest things about running media is even in good places now, the covers of magazines and things still are clearly from someone that is 
is not running. Right? Oh, they have an arc trainer beneath their feet. That's yeah. the answer, actually. They just they just uh, cut out that picture from an arc trainer and put it right there on the magazine cover. It's wild. I mean, they have quadruple D boobs. <laughs> They're just running with this big form. But, actually, there are we coach very fast runners with quadruple D boobs. Oh, yeah, no, no, nothing wrong with that. It's just, um, you know, there's clearly too much bounce going on. Like, you would need to have more of a prancy pony form at that stage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how do you coach with the elliptical or, or things like that. Like, um, you know, we're obviously big fans of cross training. How do you incorporate it into an athlete's schedule? I mean, very similar to how, I mean, if an athlete is using it as the sole form of cross training, I give workouts on the elliptical that are very similar to what I would give to running workouts, yeah. which is awesome. So things like 10 by one, um, working up to eight by three, five, four, three, two, one minute ladders. Um, so, I mean, it's awesome. And then have athletes just do easy spins, um, for their recoveries. I love that. Yeah. So the way I like to schedule elliptical is generally higher cadence. So your background is low resistance, high cadence, try to aim for 85 to 90, something like that. Um, Within reason, I would argue my 120 is a little bit excessive. I think it was probably putting a lot of stress on my hamstrings in a way that might not have been productive. So there's high RPMs and then there's looking like me at the gym (laughs) and there's a, there's a solid interplay in between. Yeah. Not productive for training perhaps, but really productive for giving you personal space at the gym because every Everyone is fucking scared and you also scare off any dates that came before me I'm sure like any guy that you would take into the gym before that is long gone I hadn't taken anyone to the gym you were <laughs> oh, my first wow what yeah. made you think that you could take me to the gym that quick in a relationship uh, you hadn't kissed me yet. So okay. I had got to the point where I was like, this is the, I mean, I guess actually, I don't know why I'm saying it like that. I could have freaking kissed you. We, yeah, could have, yeah. we could have had this in reverse, but I was kind of like, we might need to accelerate things here. And I figured it was a good, <laughs> a good litmus test. It's like the most intimate thing you can do. Uh, on one hand, you might have something kissing. And on the other hand, maybe even like sex or something. But for you, the most intimate thing is someone <laughs> seeing you on that damn machine and causing that much of a rush. Well, I was like, he's either out or he's going to be really in. I'm like, I need to know now. I'm tired of wasting my time. I was so damn in after I saw that. I was like, this is the most impressive person I have ever seen do anything in my entire <laughs> life. Um, so yeah, big recommendation is um, these types of small cross training activities, whether it's elliptical, bike, um, hike, all of that, is an a great thing to incorporate into your training. Um, it can be to replace maybe one run a week if you're lower volume, but what would be even better is as doubles periodically. Um, I think one thing we're planning on doing is once this kid comes and once they're a little older, having a play session or an entire play area down in our home gym. Oh, he's going to have a play gym in our gym. It's yeah. going to be great. We get to go down there as a family and I'm, I'm really excited. We can all that. inhale radon. <laughs> Full <laughs> oh, we got that fixed. Don't we worry. did get that fixed. Yeah. It, was, we, it looks much better We now. are a radon on free household that being said it was really damn high for a long time uh before we realized that uh because i think our inspection was a big lie so yeah hopefully we don't have any long-term issues actually no someone opened the windows during the inspection oh yeah so it would um it would bump up to like nine and then go back and then go back down as they opened up the windows so yeah definitely make sure they're doing the inspection correctly yeah being a homeowner has its complications i do miss renting a little bit because you'd just be like fuck this place i hate it (laughs) okay (laughs) Actually, but last point in elliptical though is I think it's great insurance because we have the philosophy for athletes that if something hurts, just take three days and cross train. It's never worth pushing through and risking three weeks or three months when you could just have three days. And I think when you have such a great cross training like equipment available that you're confident can build fitness and keep things going, it's really easy to take those three days off. Um, and I think it just, it provides insurance for that. And I, it's something I constantly emphasize. Yeah. Athletes. That's so perfect. Yeah. Three days is enough time for acute inflammation cycles to go down. And after that, you can make longer term decisions. Um, so <laughs> maybe if you take nothing else away from this conversation, it's 
three days off at the first sign of concerns. Like all of what we're talking about with people like Kipchoge and Killian is how they layer in long-term consistency. And we often focus on the amount of stress they're under, but for most athletes, the question is avoiding injury. It's not sexy. It's not going to get tons of podcast listeners, but the main way to do that is to just totally don't make your body prove it ever. Mm -hmm. Just be like, body, I get this whisper from you. I'm not going to make you scream to get the message. And I think too, like, especially in the beginning, as you're building into running, that avoiding injury variable is much higher than it would be as your body adapts and adjusts. And so don't get like, don't get stymied by that fact, because like, you will adjust and adapt over time. And I think like, even if you're more injury prone in the beginning of building up, that's not going to be your entire relationship with running over time. Am I allowed to, (laughs) you said the word stymied? Uh, it's stymied, I think. Fuck me. It's pretty good though, right? I, I love that. You're such a reader. I was just going for it. I actually, you probably saw the fear in my eyes. Yeah. I was like, I've read this word a thousand times. I have never once said it or heard it said. Yeah, I feel like our listeners probably could have figured out what you were getting at, but I never want you to re-listen to the podcast and have concerns. So I've just started calling you out and you're like, yeah, David, call me out. It's actually really good. Oh, it's kind of fun. It is right. I actually, I mean, it brings me back to like playing field hockey yeah. and being like, bring on it, bring it on. I'm ready for this feedback. I'm ready for this criticism. <laughs> so my testosterone just elevated a few points. That's great. Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan. And I think what you said about runners starting out is such an important thing to remember because, um, you know, we talked about on this podcast a lot about how I am really durable, how I don't get injured. But the reason that I understand basically every injury under the sun is because I have had most of them. I, yes, I've been able to avoid bone injuries, but every single soft tissue injury you could ever imagine happened to me in my first eight years of serious running. And now I don't get any. So I think that that part of the process is one that athletes don't necessarily think about that much is there's a certain amount of paying your dues that happens as an, a runner where soft tissue injuries, you go mm-hmm. through the entire range and hard tissue injuries too. Like every time you fracture a tibia, that bone is going to come back harder and be harder to break as long as you're fueling your body well. And that's something that it's really tough to deal with because often I'm coaching an athlete who's super talented or just starting out or anything like that. And they're like, Hey, we're going to be going through ups and downs here. Are you committed to what this actually looks like? Which is going to be, you know, a lot of six to eight week periods where running is just not a part of your life. Okay. I'm going to have a stymied moment. I'm, oh, going to, yeah. I'm going to call you out. Every time you fracture your tibia, it doesn't necessarily come back stronger. <laughs> okay. Every time you fracture your tibia, you should go get biomarkers and look into your energy availability <laughs> and figure out what's going on. <laughs> okay. <I'll, laughs> we're one for one. I'll accept that. That was, that was probably a cheap shot. I'll accept that but I do think that once an area gets stress fractured it's usually less likely to be stress fractured as long as there aren't underlying issues that's probably true but usually it means there's underlying issues and so it's more it's going to happen again the that's biggest true. risk for, for stress fracture is having had a previous stress yeah fracture. But if you're a runner out there just know that injury rates and injury things are not a reflection on you necessarily like it's just part of how it goes like a lot of athletes go through all this when they're in high school if they're just starting out mm-hmm. um, or young in, in early college I think one of the reasons most athletes quit that do start young before they're 25 is because that's the part of running that is the worst. Um, because now, you know, I've been through every, I, I'm talking like, let's go up the chain. I've had everything wrong that you could ever have happen to feet. I've had Achilles. I've had ankle issues. I've had, um, post tendonitis. I had calf strains. I've had knee issues. You could just go up the entire train. I've had all of those, but now I'm pretty much playing with house money. I'm playing with the cheat code of never getting injured, but it took 
those years and years of dealing with the soft tissue injuries. And that's where cross training comes in is having this option to just jump to whatever it mm-hmm. is. So if you can get one of these in your house, a, a Zwift for a bike, um, a, or stationary bike, an elliptical, a stair stepper, um, any option that you can just hop on the better, or I mean, even treadmill hike can work too. It's totally worth the investment. Honestly, it saves you back time too, because you don't have to go to the gym. It's, yeah. it's great. And we're not sponsored. I feel like at this point we should be like, and here's the sponsorship code for the Nordic <laughs> track commercial 14.9 elliptical. And we are not sponsored. So yeah. Yeah. This is just purely out of out of love and yeah, for the elliptical. We got a shit on Nordic track too because our treadmill broke in fucking half down the middle. Uh, so I don't want to make sure Nordic track. You got to sponsor us to get this good of uh, uh, advertisements in the future. Yeah, it's great. We should just go the ways of Athletic Greens. Once we shot on Athletic Greens, they reached out and we're like, "You should we, should, we should sponsor you." Yeah, maybe Nordic track will be reaching out soon. Okay, so um, tons of fun topics today. We're gonna do a grab bag of recommendations. We're gonna do some cool podcast housekeeping and things like that. Uh, we're gonna do follow ups on. Choge, we're going to do um, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. We're actually going to get to it this week. I I'm love that discussion. So excited. Uh, it's going to be so fun. We're going to do some marathon uh, idea planning things uh, and then we'll probably get to Listener Corner. So, no, first, let's start with those recommendations. Basically, we just want to fire through some quick things that uh, have been on our mind in the last few weeks. We've been watching a lot of TV. It's yes. great. Actually, we always watch a lot of TV. It's kind of our way to decompress and hang out and shoot the shit after 5, 6 p.m. All the new parents are probably like, good thing you're watching it now because that's going to change really soon. I mean, he's going to go to bed at 7 o'clock. Yeah. And I guess he can watch things that have nudity in them. He what, what age? <laughs> Until age th- three. three. Three is about the age? I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, see. we'll see how advanced he is. Yeah, the Game of Thrones, like uh, you know, Sex and Dragons, <laughs> probably probably stop at two. I think for that. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Okay, but here's the recommendation: uh, Shang Wang's Netflix comedy um, special. It is so good. It's called Sweet and Juicy, and I had never heard of Shang Wang before. Yeah, he's a comedian that's been at it a long time, and kind of a baffling long time because he's so good. I'm like, yeah. how is it taken? I think he's been doing stand up since like the early probably like early 2000s. And it's taken him this long to get a Netflix special when he's this good. It's so good. So Sweet and Juicy, it's really relaxing comedy to watch. So you're laughing out loud, but also you're not stressed at all. Um, Totally recommend it. Haven't heard people talking about it as much as I expected. Like we watched and like, oh, he's going to be the biggest superstar in the world. Like has a very Mitch Hedberg vibe if you're into that. Um, And also while while watching it, we immediately went to his Wikipedia because we're like, how is this guy not famous as fuck? And it points out how comedy works. It's very similar to what I talked about with Ryan. You know, he had to go through years of grinding. They usually say with comedy, it takes a decade to find out even a hint of what you're capable of. That's very similar to running sometimes. And so I love comedy as a metaphor for, you know, what we're all dealing with in anything we're passionate about. It's like, hey, you have to put in the grind and you have to put in the grind understanding that you're not anywhere near your potential and can't be. Like it's physically impossible until you put in this number of hours. He was the opener for so many comedians yeah. for so long, which is like running the B race of an A race at a cross country meet. You know yeah. what I mean? It's uh, So he did his time. And actually Ali Wong um, directed the, 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 this, the special. This special and it was it's I, I don't know she did a great job with it yeah it was so freaking good um uh recommendation two this is a megan one what is it okay so i've been reading a lot of books recently it's kind yeah. of been what i've been doing these last stages of pregnancy and this one is a memoir it's called between two kingdoms and it's a memoir of life interrupted and it's by suleika jawood who's an outstanding writer yeah. i would read her write about ants i would read her write about batteries like pick a random object in this room and she could captivate that object via writing she had a background so she struggled with um, cancer yeah. went through a whole long cancer treatment and then after that took to the road 
road. And this was a story both of her treatment and what it was like rebuilding a life and a foundation after that. And I feel like anyone who's gone through anything hard and has had to rebuild or has gone through a health struggle or a personal struggle, it's just like a beautiful, she captures it so beautifully. And she has a newsletter, which I'm subscribed to. Oh, cool. So every Sunday she sends a, a newsletter to my inbox and it's like the one newsletter I read. So Between Two Kingdoms, A Memoir of Life Interrupted, how do you think it makes you feel after you read it? Because I actually haven't talked to you about this book at all yet. Um, it was equal parts. I mean, it was sad. I mean, yeah. hearing about someone's like illness like that is is very, very jarring and sad. But it's also uplifting and powerful in the sense of being able to rebuild yeah. and how she did that from the ground up. And I think it also, it talked a lot about love and relationships. Oh. And so it just emphasized what matters most in life. Yeah. So kind of like a warm squeeze. I love that. The best warm squeeze. I'll actually, on a newsletter front, I'll make a recommendation too, which is Matt Levine's money stuff. Uh, I'm really into the business world. It's just an interesting area for me. And he writes the most hilarious, but also insightful business commentary out there and economic commentary. Really interesting in our, this time we're in. Uh, okay, recommendation three. We have been leveling up our cooking game and uh, the main thing I wanted to recommend here are chicken enchiladas. They're so freaking easy and so good and I feel like people forget how easy this stuff is to make. They are so good. You've been cooking every single night recently yeah. and I've been trying to reinforce it by giving you all the positive feedback. I'm like, you know, you look so sexy when you yeah. cook chicken enchiladas. Will you do this for us every night? And you've been crushing it. So DoorDash has lost their most valued customers Yeah, and but it's been great. It's so you, delicious. You're like, I don't need that big green vibrator. I need those big green enchiladas. <laughs> um, yeah, so green enchiladas is where it at. You Actually, can just get, yeah. while we're on the chicken front. Oh, I thought this was a vibrator front. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm interrupting you to talk about chicken. Okay. Uh, we had chicken parmesan as a stir fry. Oh, which, yeah. I mean, I think we, we are of the sense that you should just kind of stir fry everything in this household. I'm surprised yeah. we haven't had pizza stir fry at this point, taco stir fry. Uh, but you stir fried chicken parmesan and it was delicious. Yeah. Basically, all you have to do is cook up some chicken, like brown it, season it, all that stuff. Throw in some almond flour. So if you want to make it gluten-free, throw in some Parmesan cheese and it gets all of the same flavors um, without any of the hassle. Well, you so, don't have to do the work of like pounding and yeah. mashing the chicken and getting it all organized. You just toss it all into a pot and it worked just the same. Yeah. Basically in cooking, they call these like deconstructed, like chicken Parmesan deconstructed or uh, pizza deconstructed. I'm all about deconstructed because it's essentially saying I'm a lazy motherfucker that doesn't <laughs> like structure. So that is all for me. Well, I like it because it gives you a higher surface area for cheese. That's true. You know, when you when you mash the chicken, the cheese only has, you know, the front of the chicken to cover. And now you get the full the full scale of the chicken. Uh, I th- say if you mash it, it probably gets both sides. So uh, surface well, area Well, no, you only put cheese on one side. Oh, it's true. You can't put it on the bottom. No. But I guess you can... It depends how creative you are with cheese. That's Maybe true. that's the, the next step. The moonshot in our cooking is how we can get cheese on every surface <laughs> of everything uh, because that's what good. We actually have a nutrition discussion coming up too. Uh, next recommendation is Goo Roctane Drink pre-run. Um, so I've found that I have to go a little bit towards liquid fueling sometimes before my runs, especially my hard workouts, to feel really confident with my GI system. And I've gone from having like... Uh, maybe a bigger breakfast sometimes, which for me has not been as productive before long runs for having to go to the bathroom a lot. 
to Guratane Summit Tea. Sometimes I'll do up to like 400, 500 calories of it before races, and I have felt A+. plus. So um, recommend trying it if you're the type of athlete that suffers from GI issues. It's been a nice confidence builder for you. Like Definitely. I see going into races that you're not kind of calculating your head like, okay, what happens if I have stomach issues? Yeah. And you've really had this concrete plan that helps. And it has caffeine in it too. Yeah. So, you know, you get to the start line feeling a little bit more jazzed. And I think it's nice to have that little added boost for workouts, for races, something that's a little bit different than your everyday training run. Yeah. And they don't make, uh, or they do make a caffeine free option. That's really good at too, but, um, I'm going to write a Toronto article soon about liquid fueling in general, because it's been game changing for me personally, which is, you know, I've always had a bad GI system. It runs in my family. Almost everyone has one. I've tried everything with stomach training and sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's fucking terrible, which is why, you know, we're stockholders in Pepto-Bismol ultra (laughs) in this household. Um, and since I've done this, I haven't had the same issues, which is, um, you know, I'll eat big dinners. I eat enough all day. I always eat a lot. But then in the morning when I wake up, I'll do tea and then usually some Guraktane on top of that. Um, and I'll try to get the same number of calories I would normally get, but just do it through liquid sources. And it's been so wonderful for me, like to the point that I really want to scream from the rooftops that if you get nauseous and sick after your runs, especially like pay attention to this because it might be something to do with ischemic issues that you have with digestion and your gastric emptying and no amount of training it will training it will matter that much because it's just part of who I am at this point. I do think one important caveat though is to have that and to get out the door relatively quickly. So I've sometimes had athletes that do liquid fueling at 8am and you know, I've been there before. You're just kind of like checking your email, you're hanging out, you're procrastinating the run and then you don't get out till 1130. And that is, that's too long. Um, So I think like ideally have it, give yourself, I mean, I would say like an hour and a half to two hours is the max duration of time I would have before you start worrying about bonking and it not being as effective. Definitely. And what you could do is like uh, if you're running in the evening, let's say, I did this with track workouts sometimes way back in the day when I was training with groups that would do in the evening is do a big lunch and then liquid fueling before the workout that might be at 6 p.m. So like it it depends on what the timing is, but get creative with it. Make sure you're getting enough calories, but they do have high calorie drink mixes that also have things like BCAAs that can really help you out. It has been a game changer for me. Uh, Next recommendation. This one is a Megan one, which is taking email off your phone. It has changed your life. Okay. If there is one recommendation on this list, I mean, it's pretty high. Chicken enchiladas are a high bar for me, but taking email off the phone clears the enchilada bar. (laughs) It has been absolutely fundamentally game changing for me. Yeah. Why? What has, what has been so altered in your life? Well, I just, I was checking email constantly on my phone And the number of times that I would respond to emails urgently on my phone is quite low. And I realized that I, I mean, I'm on my computer quite a bit throughout the day. And so it was like, well, I, it's, you know, it's changing the time that I respond maybe by 20 or 30 minutes. And that's honestly not needed. Yeah. I think I got to the point, there was one morning I woke up, the the window was open in our bedroom. It was a beautiful sunrise. I was laying there thinking about the day. And the first thing I did when I woke up is I opened my phone, turned to a stressful email, and it just wasn't how I wanted to start the day. I could have seen that email 45 minutes later and nothing would have changed. And it's just, it's been so helpful. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I I instead check Twitter first thing I wake up because (laughs) that's the healthy thing to do. Um, But no, so definitely take email off your phone. I think it has no, like, like we respond both to 50 plus emails a day probably. Oh, probably probably more than that. Probably more than that. And the idea being that having email on our phone doesn't make us more efficient with that. It just makes us less. It gets us more in our heads. It has us think about these things. And you can't really draft complicated emails 
via your phone. Often I'll get emails from people that are very serious emails and they'll say at the bottom, type from an iPhone and they're like, I'm like, I can fucking tell. (laughs) (laughs) So I think maybe resist that urge unless you absolutely have to. Um, A little aside here on tech, I want to say Facebook kind of sucks. Um, I know that's a lot to say, but we try to... Oh, that's not a lot to say. Okay. I feel like in today's world, that's actually 100% acceptable. To say. Yeah. So for the longest time, our group swap, like for our athletes, had been organized via Facebook because that was just the way you did it in these groups. Um, and after a while, like enough people had signed off, we wanted to kind of sign off too, that we realized you know, we needed to move. And so I went to go shut the group down and there is no way to shut down a private group. You have to remove every single person individually to actually cause it to wind down. It's such a cynical approach to it. And it really exemplifies a lot of how I've seen them approach basically every issue. To me, it's like the ultimate frustrating thing. I I just, it gets my blood boiling that uh, this company like profits off of just like making people feel like idiots. It's quintessential Facebook. I love yeah. how you've handled it. How you've responded to this is every time you go to the bathroom in the morning, you remove 10 people from our yeah. Facebook group. So we have, I mean, it's a whole group of like family and friends and supporters of Swap. And so we have a number of people in there and you've been gradually removing 10 people poop by poop. Yeah, yeah. One poop at a time. We can change the world. We can change the world by deleting Facebook one poop at a time. <laughs> yes. They actually, they really need to have on Facebook some sort of situation. I love Facebook because it has all of our pictures from 12 years ago yeah and it's the only place those are stored they need to have an automatic download button of those pictures that just go directly to your iCloud yeah and that's how Facebook can get out of the market <laughs> yeah I'm sure that they'd be their board would be really interested in that so <laughs> maybe maybe Facebook of course. Will watch watch Facebook sponsor us after this we'll change our tune real fast um okay last big recommendation is that on the something called the recover athletics app you can now find swap speed legs and wake up legs so the warm-up routine and the big strength routine which is pretty cool recover Cover Athletics partners with Strava, um, and they said that the day ours stuff came out was one of their best days. So very fun to see that like our strength work has taken the world by storm now. Also, listen to the audio as you do the stre- as you do the strength work because yeah. they give us full freedom to describe how you would do these strength exercises, and we had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Actually, so much fun. It took a, a little bit for these strength exercises to We're get on the app. Eight months it took, for and these so to come out. throughout those eight months, I was like, I'm pretty sure we overdid the description. Yeah. They they went back and listened to those and they're like, that does not align with our app. But it turns out they did because they're cool people. And I don't know, though. It still took eight months. I feel like they spent eight months deliberating, debating. Is this worthwhile to publish? Are we going to get canceled? Yeah. Are we going to get canceled? Because this is not the Swap Podcast and this is actually a serious app. Uh, But it was very fun and it's worth checking out. So check out the Recover Athletics app. Um, We're not sponsored or anything, but really like the people there. They're really cool. We really like the people at Strava that um, support them. So uh, it's worth worth checking out. And also, I haven't been able to watch it or listen to it because it horrifies me to to see like a video of myself like that. I'm really scared. No, I agree. But it's also for me, that was, we recorded it one month before I got pregnant. Yeah. Watching my body move in that way, it's like, <laughs> oh, someday I'll be back there. Yeah. Someday I'll be doing a deadlift without my Buddha belly. <laughs> it is wild because a year ago at this time, you won the Tiger Claw 25 miler. And I mean, you're a year later, you're, you know, sticking out to Mars practically. <laughs> you have a gravitational pull around your stomach. We got a Saturn right here, right next to the mic. And um, it's just cool how much life can change in a year. And I think whatever anyone's going through, in a year, 
life can be totally magically different in the best way possible. So um, have a lot of hope in that. Well, sometimes, I mean, I think also don't put pressure on that. Sometimes when I think back to, you know, how like Facebook or Instagram or some of these apps give you reminders of where you were a year ago. Yeah. Sometimes it's jarring to me because it's pressure. It's like, well, what have I done in that year's time? Yeah. And time is, I mean, I think, you know, we go through fits and starts with how we develop and what happens in life. And I've had years that I look back on and it's like, oh, well, maybe this year set up another year. And so I also think it's important too, if that hasn't happened to you, like it's, it's totally okay. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, just like pregnancy is a great thing in some ways. It's also a really hard thing in the fact that like you look back at where you were athletically and you're like, will I ever get back there? I mean, I think everything, every moment of growth in life comes with some amount of questioning about the alternatives, right? The what ifs. (laughs) And I think if there's any lesson from this podcast, it's let's leave those what ifs in the background. Like let's put them in the trunk and let's just forget they're there because it is not a helpful way to view life. And when we say that everything was meant to be, we're not saying that like this exact trajectory is the Mm -hmm. only best way it could have turned out. It's that whatever trajectory you're on, there is so much love and beauty on that particular one too. And so many elliptical workouts available. Yeah. Um, I feel like we are going to get back there because it's going to be one elliptical workout at a time. (laughs) true with the baby bobbing in the corner yep. I'll, I'll take the uh the soothing him while you're out there crushing shit he'll also be a little horrified of his mom which i think is a good way for him to be raised <laughs> he needs to respect your womanly power um okay so uh some big podcast ideas here uh one to start with a final recommendation which is on kara swisher and her podcast so absolutely love pivot which stars her and scott galloway um but she also just launched a new podcast called on with kara swisher where she does these interviews um she's incredibly insightful but also incredibly biting in her commentary um truly deeply love her she's one of the people i idolize um but what i thought was interesting before the podcast even had launched it had 4.6 stars which meant she got a fuck ton of one star reviews that's wild before it even existed in the universe. Um, And I think that's a pretty fascinating insight into like what it means to actually put yourself out there. The fact that Kara Swisher, who's known to stand up, to speak truth to power, to speak her mind, even when it might not be something everyone agrees with, automatically gets one stars from people even before she puts anything out into the universe. Before she has any product out there. To her, that should be a big compliment because, you know, one, people, I I assume a percentage of that are competitors that are scared of her. And they're like, (laughs) by giving her a one star, we are expressing how we feel early on. But I also think, too, she's been strong enough to stand for core beliefs that shake some people because, I mean, I think, you know... Like if you if you trace back the history, that would yeah. always happen. But today we're in an even more polarized society where that becomes even more impactful. And I don't know. I think she should take that with a big with a, a sense of you know that being complimentary. Yeah, she definitely does. She loves it. She I, I think she really loves engaging with trolls and people that don't like her because she knows that it doesn't matter. Does she engage with trolls? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, she's all about the slapbacks. She loves the clapbacks. Um, but I think it's a good reminder about increasing the denominator in life in general. Like, so if you have any bit of a strong person or you're passionate about something in any serious way, as soon as you're exposed to a larger, broad array of people, you're going to get so many more one-star reviews. And I think- Honestly, even if you're not passionate about something, yeah. you will still get one-star <laughs> reviews. But it gets worse when you're genuine th- to yourself. It, it gets a lot worse. And um, that's important. That's like the crux of, of why we do what we do. But even if you're not, you will still get one-star that's reviews. So, true. Um, so the coolest thing, and the reason that this is we're talking about this, is the podcast has taken off. Ever since we started the interviews, um, it's going up 5 to 10% 
per week. Um, and it was already one of the top podcasts in the U.S. and Canada. So um, it's very cool. But one of the most interesting things I find is, so like we'll do an interview, we'll pulse up some huge number of listeners, and then a lot of them will stick around. Most of them will probably stick around. Um, but as we get lots of new listeners, we also get an influx of mediocre reviews from people <laughs> who are like, what the fuck is this? This is not for me. Well, I imagine if you listen to the Killian interview, which is pretty straightforward. I mean, yeah. we are our authentic selves on there, but we don't open talking about how ellipticals, you know, making the analogy between ellipticals and vibrators. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think people, once they listen to those interviews, are like, what is going on yeah. on the main podcast? Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting insight and something that I've had to lean into a lot. It's like, embrace that. Whatever pushback you do get, even if it's in really small doses, you can start to create towards that pushback. Like, um, if you have one really big critic that reads your work, um, you'll find yourself writing and thinking about what that critic will say about the work. And it's so key not to do that because the only way to become Kara Swisher is to not actually, you know, create for them is to create like actually at their criticisms to be mm -hmm. like, this is something I'm embracing because this is clear the sign of friction means I'm doing something important or at least something interesting. And let's be as interesting as fucking possible. Um, and speaking of interesting, yet last week I was writing this big article on Eliud Kipchoge. It went super viral in the running world. Um, but within the context of that, I wanted to have plenty of disclaimers it's because like, I do want to acknowledge my biases and acknowledge my issues. And so I shouted up to Megan. I was like, Megan, what are some weird things about me? Um, and in pure Megan relationship fashion, she screams back six different things in quick succession that are weird <laughs> about me with no prompting. It was amazing. Well, I could have started with the first one, which is that you stick things, you stick a car key into your ear to pick out earwax. <laughs> oh. But I could have done that into six different iterations with just different objects. So it yeah. could have been like the pen cap. <laughs> it could have been the scissors that I've seen you do before. So, uh. but the thing is, I love you for each of those. Like yeah. it's kind of, it gets the idea of the ratings. Like you are so unique and weird yeah. that me shooting those back so fast was emblematic. It's actually like fully emblematic of my love for you. Well, you know what's kind of scary? I try to hide from you when I do that. So every time you see it, it's just the tip <laughs> of the iceberg. That is one of 100 times I've tried. Well, that's the only one. The ear one in particular, I'm like, dude, you're going to damage your ears. Yeah. The other ones, I mean, there's like some weird things that you do. And I'm like, that's just kind of funny and amusing, but it's not going to cause physiological damage to your ears. Yeah. The fact that my eardrums are still intact is rather remarkable. It's 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 an amazing thing. I also, uh, one of the things she said is you use chocolate checks as an iron supplement, <laughs> which is true. Chocolate checks is 70% iron and I don't take an iron supplement but I do eat a lot of chocolate checks which is is pretty disturbing but you know it points out that there are these weird things about us all of us even if you're not acknowledging them to the broader world and, and there will be things. someone out there who loves them yeah we'll, we'll love them but also that in, by embracing those things you gain power over them and also it's more interesting and let yourself be interesting and so speaking of if you listen to the podcast, if you like it, um, go to your favorite podcast listener, ideally Apple Podcasts, which helps us. Click follow on Apple or subscribe other places and give it five stars. It means a ton to us. It also helps other people find it. So we have some great things ahead and I think you're going to be really pumped. I am so excited for what's coming ahead because we have more interviews ahead and we promise this yeah. is date day for us. So we're not turning this into an interview podcast, but they are really fun for our own learning. And I think 
for how we engage with the community to keep building them. And yeah. we have the goat. We are building a goat herd over here. Yeah. And it is increasing rapidly. We have dun, 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 Courtney Walter. DeWalter coming on. <laughs> Courtney Walter. Courtney Walter. <laughs> she lives in Des Moines, yeah. Iowa, and she doesn't run. <laughs> Courtney Walter. No, Courtney DeWalter is going to be interviewed, and she'll be on the episode next week. Uh, we have a lot of really great questions that our Patreon listeners have told us to ask her. It's going to be so fun. I cannot wait. It's going to be a blast. I feel like at this point, we're accumulating so many goats in our goat herd yeah. I would love to do so I've been doing my research it's fun to do research on um, these athletes that we're bringing on because it's like you know just doing a deep dive into their podcast history how they talk yeah. what they how they how they communicate and with Courtney she has these like deep philosophical thoughts on the pain cave and I want to bottle those up for people who are about to race yeah. and have it as this motivational thing but I think we should really have a best of the goat herd oh. um, so to create like an inspirational episode um, take the best clips from all of these goats that we're interviewing and have it readily available for athletes who are, you know, going to do a race. And it's a great, yeah. a great source of inspiration. I love that. Yeah. I'm definitely going to ask Courtney about death. Um, I really want to dig into some of the spiritual components of what she does to like sublimate her own, um, you know, consciousness in these long events. I'm very curious. So we'll see. Uh, final, final thing on this is uh, athletic greens. This is an email from a listener. Get ready for this. Exciting swap-inspired news. I stopped taking Athletic Greens for a few years and then got back into it after hearing David's experience and dot, dot, dot. Just last week, I accepted an offer to be AG's new and then insert major position here. I don't want to give it away. LFG, let's fucking go. And thanks for inspiring my fun career, career switch. How cool is this? If you start taking Athletic Greens, you might get a major job promotion. I was so excited. I mean, she, it was not even a job promotion. She started yeah. working at the company, a new, new job position in general. That's the sign of a really good supplement that you get a top management position at a company after. So yeah, we're massive fans of Athletic Greens, something we absolutely swear by. Uh, and get it at athleticgreens.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. Um, we have basically almost all of our pro athletes taking it now. It's safe for sports, so it's certified has lots of things that you can't find safe for sport elsewhere. Um, 100% recommend. And who knows, they might have some job openings if you like it. Yeah, it's a great way. I mean, I feel like if you go into an athletic greens and you haven't tried it yet, yeah. it's really important that you do the taste test and say it tastes like shit in the job interview. <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. Okay, uh, do you want to get into the trail distances or the marathon principles? Let's get into marathon principles. Perfect. I think let's save time. We have some really good discussions coming at the end. Um, and we can always bounce back to that, that listener question. Yeah, so we've too. talked about this a lot on Patreon, actually. So patreon.com slash swap it's where we do bonus podcasts each week each week get into it um so the three marathon principles we wanted to talk about are relevant right now because this is marathon season for a lot of people and um, you know a lot of road marathons are coming up from cim houston um indianapolis uh things like that and it's just a great place to test your fitness but also a great place to develop as a runner and so um, we want to talk about this because even if you're not doing a marathon it's really relevant to think about aerobic development because i think your velocity at aerobic threshold which is what marathon training taxes is one of the most important elements in becoming a stronger runner at mm -hmm. every distance from the mile up to the 100 miles and i'm really excited too this is my favorite time of year to coach because yeah. i am starting to lay out these long run plans into races like cim or houston and i'm taking a lot of athletes who or transitioning to road marathons for the first time. So yeah. these are great ultra runners, or trail runners, or perhaps even, you know, shorter distance road runners who are coming into the marathon distance. And it's fun to help them prepare for these upcoming marathon cycles. And a big part of this, so let's dive into point number one. Yeah. Point number one is 
planning out specific long runs. And so as a coach, I will go through and plan every single weekend until race day at this point, because that forms the scaffolding and the structure for how we think about marathon training. Yeah. And as you've seen us talk about Kipchoge and Killian, one of the most fundamental elements of what they do is that the long run ends up being the main session of each week. Usually we're going to get a little bit into some takeaways from Kipchoge later and some of the things that might be a little bit different than what we discussed last week. And one of the big ones is that his long runs aren't just like Z3 relaxed tempos. They progress into hard efforts. And I don't know if that's sustainable for everybody, but it points out that these long run days are when you accumulate the most stress. So it is a huge opportunity. Um, Like basically as you're planning these out, your long run can stack a huge amount of your weekly stress, not just in terms of distance, but in terms of the aerobic strain as well. Um, So long runs for marathons um, aren't just about building up the amount of easy miles you can run. Yes, that matters to a certain extent, but what it's most about is how much area can you fit under the aerobic curve and still adapt to. Um, And as you stack that up over time, you can get way faster and your body can be capable of things that you just didn't even think possible. It's so fun to plan these sessions. And I think though, for athletes that are coming into this marathon um, training for the first time, what I do actually is because these workouts wind up becoming pretty beefy. So, you know, for example, it could be a 16 mile long run with four, three, two, one miles um, with one mile easy jog recovery at marathon effort, which is a substantial, that's a substantial effort is sometimes I reduce the workout load during the week because, you know, the athlete is adapting to these, these long run workouts for the first time. And especially to, if there's a change in certain surface involved. So for example, if a trail runner is coming in, we have to adapt a little bit to pavement pounding. So, you know, a lot of these long runs will be on gravel roads, but some should be on pavement. So your body can adapt to that. Um, and so these are all areas that we think about trying to lighten the load a little bit more during the week. If this is a first time stimulus for some people. Yeah. And I think the big takeaway is that long runs are not about endurance. Long runs are built about building your capacity for intensity over time, uh, particularly around this aerobic lipidic power, which is what, uh, Kipchoge is doing a lot, what Killian's doing a lot, where you're able to sustain these for a long period of time. So Megan mentioned four, three, two, one, uh, marathon effort or a little bit faster with one mile easy recovery. That's a great session. Other great sessions are one mile alternators. So you might do anywhere up to even like 16 miles of one mile on one mile float, um, which ends up being a huge aerobic strain or five, four, three, two, one, mm-hmm. or 10 to 13 miles at marathon effort. These long sessions are instrumental in marathon development. I think what we're seeing with people like Killian is that they're also instrumental for marathon performance or um, ultra marathon performance. So start to think about, okay, these long moderate sessions that I build into can be absolutely key. And for more advanced athletes too, sometimes it involves, you know, going beyond marathon effort as well. So oftentimes, you know, I might do like four minutes at marathon effort and then 90 seconds at tempo and four minutes at marathon effort and 90 seconds at tempo. And it's, you know, revving the system up over that marathon effort so that marathon effort itself becomes biomechanically and effort wise, it feels a little bit smoother or things like two by 15 minutes at half marathon effort. So there's all kinds of way to make it spicy. Yeah. Um, So we'll talk about that a little bit more with Kim Choi. The second big point is on form. As you're getting into road marathon training, really think about how to make your form more sustainable. I think on trails, this sometimes gets smoothed out and you don't think about it much, but you look at top marathoners, they're all kind of conserving their energy with how their form looks. We talk about Prancy Pony on here a lot. Often it means kind of quicker cadence. Um, You don't want to have a 150 or 160 cadence when you're getting into marathon training because you will just pound yourself into oblivion. Um, So focus on how to keep the least amount of tension in your form. Then you'll get much more sustainable and be able to hold those paces, you know, for two to three to four 
plus hours. One way I, th- I like thinking about form is actually on treadmill doubles. Yeah. Um, so on treadmill doubles, a great time to wear a heart rate and to evaluate, you know, the treadmill is going at a consistent clip. And so you yeah. can evaluate how your, how your heart rate is responding to form and find a form that, you know, and it's important too that you think about form principles as you do this, Definitely. but find form that optimizes heart rate and optimizes efficiency as well. Yeah. So big form principles, just to emphasize right now, quick cadence is the main one. It doesn't mean you need to be at 180, but ideally over 170 on all of your runs, including very easy ones and a little bit higher as you fatigue. So when you're doing these marathon workouts, as you get tired, think keep cadence, quick cadence, quick cadence, because your power will go down, but cadence can counteract a lot of that. Um, Two, really relaxed arms. RT-REX comes from the really passive relaxed arms. Focus on that. Three, slight forward lean. It doesn't mean it needs to be exaggerated, but for a lot of athletes, they can start to lean back as they fatigue, particularly on roads. That slight forward lean can unlock your glutes. And as we've all learned from PTs, Unlocking those glutes gives you the power of the gods. It's the holy grail of running. Also, it makes for some delightful looking marathon photos too. So, you know, you can think about that as you optimize your form. Oh, because you have the bubble butt, you mean? Like no, because you got a beautiful forward looking lean. And then okay. for me, it's like this, the form is good. And then my face is all contorted in, in, in photos. <laughs> it's true. I like that. And then final is uh, make sure you get a good pair of super shoes. Um, it is game changing. It also, I think, conserves athletes' um like bodies a little bit Mm -hmm. as they train. You don't need to train a ton, but do some of your long runs in in them, especially if you can afford them. Um, By far the best is the Nike Alpha Fly right now. It has um, amazing performance relative to other shoes. But one thing you need to consider is that these shoes are 4% better for most people, but for some, they're about 3% better. For some, they're like 6% better. As we're talking about Kipchoge, we're probably talking about a super freak that's a super responder to super shoes. And it's important that we all get in on that game. There are lots of outliers. When you go and actually look at the individual data points, there are outliers in response to super shoes. So you could be a 7% outlier and you don't know that. I think the other important thing too is that the control shoe that's used for measuring the 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 4% gain in these super shoe studies is actually a really good shoe. So, I mean, if you're wearing, I think a shoe that we love to shit on a lot on this podcast is the Hoka Mach. Um, Honestly, I think it's one of the worst shoes on the market. Hoka has a lot of great shoes. I love the Hoka Tecton. So Hoka Tectons, Hoka Speedgoats. I was actually just asking Megan, could we get a sponsorship of the podcast for Hoka just to fuel my Tecton obsession? Yes. So we're not hating on all Hokas. Oh, Hokas are great shoes. The Hoka Mock is a terrible shoe. It's a piece of shit. It's, it's terrible. But I think... Um, I think in comparison to the Hoka Mach, the, the Alpha Flies might even be 7%. Yeah, and yeah. so, I mean, if you're thinking about just wearing a regular pair of trainers, the Super Shoes are above and beyond way better, especially depending upon what pair of trainer you're wearing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some shoes are clearly negative 2%, and it's something that it's hard to talk about because the shoe tech is so good now, not just in Super Shoes, but in a lot of different things with the foam, that sometimes you're looking at negative 2% shoes that athletes are running. Like Sometimes, especially with sponsored athletes, I'm like, oh my God, we both know like seeing the studies that that shoe, if it was actually tested in the lab, would be underperforming some of the competitors. It's like you're leaving something on the table with that. So pay attention to that. Put those three things together with some of the other training principles we're talking about, particularly maintaining your speed. So even though you're going long, keep your speed high, particularly through strides and some short intervals during the week. And I think road marathons can be one of the best things for fitness growth. Oh, it's incredible. I love when trail athletes come in and do a road marathon because I think it really reinforces speed development and reinforces running economy. And if you do it at this time, so like a race like CIM in December, yeah. you return back to the trails in February with this turbocharged running economy. And I think it really lights, you know, trail runners and ultra runners on fire. Yeah. Um, okay. Next big topic, and this is maybe the biggest topic of the episode, is a follow-up to our process-oriented discussion on what Megan said, which is the 5% uh, optimization versus the 0.1% optimization, which 
touched so many listeners. We got so many people reaching out saying this changed their perspective on life. We got an unprecedented number of emails from this. Yeah. And it was something that we just kind of mentioned as an aside in an introduction is, and I'll, I'll just relay this really briefly for people who missed that discussion, is I think for me as I'm coming back from pregnancy, as I'm coming back from some of the health issues that I've been dealing with, yeah. I've thought a lot about what I want as an athlete. And what I want as an athlete is not trying to unlock every single 0.01% gain for myself, the 0.01% like marginal gain optimization. And to think more about some number, I would say it's anywhere between like two to 5%, but 5%, five is a good number. So we'll go with five is to think more about what is the 5% best self I can be in relation to running. And I think it's an area that's going to be better for my relationships, better for life, better for just like the overall balance that I want at this point. But I totally reserve judgment to change that at any time. <laughs> but the point is, and I think the big takeaway is that it's also better for growth. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, life isn't this perfect array of great thing, great thing, great thing. We were talking about the niggles you get as an athlete. Like when things get hurt, it's if you're 0.1% optimiza- optimization, if that's your mindset on that type of thing, you're going to get fucked every time that happens. It's going to be an existential crisis that's going to get in the way of your long-term growth. So thinking of a way to make it more sustainable is awesome. Like you riding the elliptical, that was back when you were marginal gain optimization to the max. Now your blast radius might be like (laughs) a half shorter. Like you might not smoke out the entire gym, just the like small vicinity near your elliptical. I don't know. I'm an outlier in terms of sweat. So I don't think we should apply that to that sweat. So, but that being said, I mean, I think, you know, if there is a time when a double is just not conducive to our family life, it's not conducive to my work life, I am freaking exhausted. Yeah. Like it doesn't, I can give myself the flexibility that it's not going to, I mean, I'm not going to wake up at 1am being like, I didn't do that double. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a champion today. And that's not for me, the mindset that makes me most happy in sport. Yeah. And so we have a great study that just came out in August uh, from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. It's called a meta-analysis of the dark side of the American dream. Evidence for the universal wellness costs of prioritizing extrinsic over intrinsic goals. They really just laid it out in that title, didn't they? They really did it up. Yeah. Um, it's I see this as a common theme actually in psychology studies, is the titles are sexy. Yeah. We need to bring some of this into the biosciences. I don't know. We're gonna get into some of our concerns later on about some of that, but um it is it kind of gives away the, the goose, the game in the very beginning. So uh just as a quick reminder, intrinsic goals uh, that they gave are examples of growth, relationships, community, giving, health. Extrinsic goals are things like wealth, fame, beauty. In running, you could imagine this like extrinsic goals would be anything with results, times, um, you know, social media posts, things like that. Intrinsic goals would be more day-to-day process. So say looking like a model on the arc trainer. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> with your quadruple Z boobs. I want to I want to revise my decision. Quadruple D is too realistic to be relevant. I want to say we're talking like forty-seven Zs. We're talking. They touch the ground. Oh, not not the ground near you, the ground in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa. I'm talking about the ground 100 miles away. We need to make sure this applies to no one. Um, so uh, there are two problems with extrinsic goals in the psychology literature. The first is their rival fallacy, that you get to the goal that you've been thinking about, nothing really changes, and it actually leads to depression. Um, it's super interesting. You see this after things, even like marriages. Um, people will get there, and they'll be like, oh, shit, um, this is it. This is everything. What do I do now? Die. <laughs> um, that's not good. You don't want that. That's bad. Um, and it's something that really applies to athletics too. And the second point is escalation of expectations. And we see this constantly. I mean, we can take a relationship example. I think you yeah. see that constantly in relationships. And in athletics too, I mean, 
we, the goalposts just keep shifting forward. So yeah. you win one race, you win a local race, and then you're like, all of a sudden I want to win a race that's more on the national level. Yeah. Then once you win a race on the national level, it's like, well, I want to win on the international level. Then I want to be the freaking best in the world. Yeah. And then once you're the best in the world, how do I stay there? Yeah. And it just, the expectations just keep on shifting. And it's, I think it gets to a point where it's just totally unsustainable and you're not appreciating the the process of what's happening in the, in the interim. Yeah. And personal growth can become cancerous. It can become, oh, yeah. like, it can become metastasized as whatever like hint of good process oriented focus you have early on gets subsumed by this broader goal of achievement that we're all tempted to do, particularly in America, as they say, American dream, but it applies to everyone. And especially is risky in running because there's times, there's places. What is a race other than measuring yourself against others? And our whole point in SWAP is even for pro athletes, that is not what a race is. A race is a chance to structure a daily process and learn to celebrate yourself and get lessons that make you, uh, you know, a more full human being rather than something that makes you a more full, more accomplished runner, because that shit doesn't matter. Even if it seems like it matters, it won't when you actually get there. And that's the hardest thing to convey to young athletes. Well, I'm fascinated. I love that you use the point of it being cancerous. Actually, the first thing that was coming to my mind was it being addictive. And I feel like much in the way of an addiction, it takes over and consumes so much of you that you're becoming a shell of a person in other areas of life that are really important to you, like relationships and work and things like that. And I think it's just important to think about the fact that it is addictive or cancerous and to take a step back and understand what that, I mean, I think for me, I can have these big philosophical ideas, but I also need to ground it in the fact of like, what are the action points that I'm going to do to keep this from becoming addictive or cancerous? And what does that look like in my own life? Yeah. And it's a place we've had to evolve so much. Like we both had to put our hands in the stove so many times for this. And our first chapter of our book is about process over results. It's trying to get to this idea. And so I think it applies to running in a pretty direct way that we can see, but it's so important to think about with every aspect of life because it can be, like be a, a mind virus that just uh, takes over every little bit of you. And so I think business is maybe the most direct example that ruins people's lives so much. So on a more abstract level, the example I was thinking of is let's say you like to do woodworking. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between selling your woodwork and being um, you know, a top woodworking artisan and doing it for fun is such a massive one in terms of who's going to get the most joy out of that process. That doesn't mean you can't make it into a job. It just means that there is a thin line between having fun and creating um, scaffolding for self-judgment. And it's so important to keep the fun Uh, at the forefront, even as you might transition something into being more economically advantageous for you. Because we see this not just with like people that are doing, you know, business in a sense that you might traditionally think with a suit. We see it with running coaches who burn out and things like that because it becomes yet another area for judgment in their lives. And I think the struggle too is, is that as that growth becomes cancerous, it takes more and more and more over time to yeah. power that growth in the business setting. This makes me think we actually just watched the documentary on Enron. Yeah. Um, and Enron famously went bankrupt many years ago. There's a great documentary out that kind of goes through the different nuances of how it happened. Yeah. But essentially they became so addicted to growth that the only only way to achieve growth over time was to overcook the books. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, it becomes, I mean, I think there's so many examples in history of companies overcooking the books and that leading into a death spiral. Yeah. And 
I think the same goes with running. It's as soon as you become addicted to this growth, in order to reach that 0.01% marginal gain optimization, you have to start doing things to your body that probably aren't productive for your health in the long term, whether that's like doping or hacking or these biological gains that just don't make any sense. And I think all of those feed into a death spiral much in the way they do for Enron. That's so beautiful. And like, uh, let's actually think about it in the context of what we've done over time. We don't talk about business much on here, um, but I think, and I'll say this like with pride, that Swap is a, an extremely successful business in this world, right? We created it from scratch not that long ago in the big scheme of things, and it's doing great. But I think one of the reasons for that is that we didn't take the temptation to scale up for capitalistic growth at every step of the way. Like there would have been many times where there would have been, we had tons of people telling us we should set up a coaching tree. We should raise our prices to the moon because clearly we're not accommodating supply and demand given that we can't take that many athletes on. Um, We've been told, um, God, with our writing, we should just put, you know, coordinate all off and have it just for people that pay us and things like that. And I think every single one of those steps would have taken almost all the fun out of the process. It would have been applying like ideas of growth that might work for Facebook or some big corporation that's publicly traded to individual lives. And that is no like more um, striking way of thinking of cancerous growth than applying principles that work for a corporation to an individual's day-to-day lived experience. I'm so glad you brought that up, actually. It's very similar to taking the principles that Killian does at the extremes and, yeah. pl- and applying them to someone who's just getting into trail running. So, yeah. Is that like, we should not be taking the the expectations of a company who is appealing to shareholders and applying those to swap because they're drastically different. And I think the growth expectations and the growth mindset is different. And I don't think there is this one. I think business philosophy is a lot like running training where you take philosophies from a lot of different areas. You have to consider the size of our company, which is two people in our situation. We don't have shareholders. It's great. But we never will. Probably if we had taken a lot of the advice would be 50 people right now and life would be so stressful and less fun, even as maybe our bank account might be a little bit in better shape, you know? But mo money, mo problems. Mo money, mo problems. Um, so I was talking to an athlete about this who has their own business that looks a little bit similar. Obviously, I don't know fuck about business, but here's what I said to them. Uh, only little business advice. Try not to pursue growth beyond being comfortable. When small business apply, businesses apply the bi- logic of big businesses, it creates never-ending anxiety forever. You're one of the most respected and sought-after professionals in your entire field. And then after they responded, um, a follow-up. I think how people talk about business in this world can sometimes be super unhelpful. Swap, I think, is a very successful business in the sport in some ways, and we did it by trying to avoid, quote, scale, i.e. pyramids, prepaid plans, etc., all of which could made, of a, made us a lot of money, but at the expense of the daily joy of what we actually enjoy, in, enjoy doing. You are the best at what you do, and that's what to focus on. That's I, I think that's an outstanding point for, I mean... I think it works really well for small businesses like yeah. us. But I also think I I would be interested. I mean, I know there's larger companies like Defector is a company that yeah. comes to mind of a company that's a little bit larger that has also employed this mindset. Patagonia yeah. being another great example. And what are those models that look like? And what are, what do those models look like? And how, like, what is the sustainability and happiness in values that come of that? Yeah. And how can we mix those into some of the other growth models that exist like in economics? Definitely. And that's where the study really comes in. So this was a meta-analysis that looked at 105 studies that included 70,000 total participants. The findings are kind of what you would expect. Intrinsic goals had a correlation with well-being at R equals 0.24. Extrinsic goals were basically zero. Um, But this is the most significant finding. When extrinsic goals were the predominant factor, uh, the correlation was negative with R equals 0.22. 
which when you have 70,000 participants, these are high correlations. Like this effect size is massive. And it's really striking that, uh, you know, extrinsic goals aren't just necessary necessarily bad for mental health. It also correlated with less success in these studies too. And I think it gets back to what we're talking about. It's like, if you have extrinsic goals, you're going to get fucked. There's a reason that the corporations that are successful, they usually cycle through a bunch of CEOs, mm-hmm. right? But we are not the corporation. We are the CEO that gets sacked after a bad quarter. Um, so you need to have your system accommodate lots of bad quarters because that's the right nature of being human. This publication used the word floundering a lot in yeah. relationship to external extrinsic goals. And I felt like what they wanted to insert was fucked. They're like, <laughs> we found a different word. We found floundering. But here's one. And this is what they, how they summed up the study. And it includes the word floundering. No matter who, no matter who or where one is, focusing on extrinsic life goals is linked both to decreased flourishing and increased floundering. Yeah, I mean it's so it's so remarkable. Increased fuckedness, perhaps. <laughs> um, and you know the way that we like to talk about with athletes is: Would you do what you're doing if no one in the world knew about it except yourself? I think it's a good question to ask yourself whenever you're distilling down these bigger questions. Yes. In business, there's certain things you have to do to make money, to put food on the table, things like that. After you get past that, really start to think about every decision. In running, for example, if you can never post on Instagram or no one ever knew or Strava didn't exist, would you be doing a 100 mile or would you be doing a trail half marathon or would you be running at all? Like all of those are valid questions and think back to like, okay, in my day to day, what is the true thing that not just bring, not brings me joy necessarily, but brings me purpose, makes me excited to wake up. Um, ask yourself those questions, think about them hard. And once you make the decision, go for it. You don't have to, you don't have to over inquire about your own motivations. Like that is a way to also put yourself in a spiral of overthinking, but make sure you do take that step back and reevaluate why am I doing what I'm doing? And I think the other thing too is, is this doesn't apply to everyone. Yeah. Like this, this mindset, I think for me, I'm the type of personality. And I said this in the other podcast that if I shoot for that 0.01% marginal gains optimization, I am going to flounder yeah. and it's going to be bad. And for me shooting for 5%, and this is not the reason I'm doing it is actually a much greater path to success than the 0.01%. But not everyone is like that. And so this also may not apply to you too. But I think for me, it was really helpful just to think about the five different things. Like if I find myself drifting to the point that I become addicted to this growth mindset, what are the five, what are like five signs of that? And what are five things that I can do to, to break free of that? Yeah. And it's, I think it's really helpful just being, because some of this feels pie in the sky. And I think sometimes you need to take pie in the sky points and make them much more concrete. I love your disclaimer, but at the same time, I don't really agree. I, as much as I hate to ever push back, I'm like, seeing a little bit behind the scenes, I bet all those people that seem super happy that are like pushing for that, like, absolute, you know, extrinsic goal mindset are often doing it with a undercurrent that we just don't see. Mm-hmm. That's super negative. It reminds me of the uh the Shania Twain song. So you've got a million dollars. That don't impress me much. Um, <laughs> nice singing. Thank you. Yeah. It's a really good song. That was it, impressive. It is a little like anti-feminist when you listen to it again. I'm like, that guy actually impresses me. Uh he looks like Brad Pitt. He has a million dollars. He drives like a Corvette or something. I'm like that guy seems pretty cool. I'm going to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, just really inquire about like, what is the most fun for you? And like with business, with running, with all these things, I love to ground it in death. Um, and, and not in a general abstract way of like, oh, this is impermanent. I should enjoy each day. But to actually think about blackness, blankness, whatever you think happens after death in a really specific way, whatever you think happens, I promise your job's not going to have mattered, um, even if you believe in heaven. Um, and so, which is great. 
totally support whatever your spiritual groundings are. Um, and to actually think about that moment and think about how that might structure your tomorrow. And, you know, obviously there's societal constraints, there's things that do matter in this world. Um, and it's really important to, to have that, you know, grounding in principles, but make sure that you're not living as if your life and your accomplishments are more important than they are, because you're going to find that even if you reach those accomplishments, they weren't that important all along. And whatever you brought with you is what you're taking with you later. And I think for me, the first time, and I, I think about, we think about mortality a lot in this yes, household. Yes, we do. Probably a little bit too much. I, yeah. I think this is two people whose brains tend towards, we don't have anxiety, but probably tend towards the anxious front. Yeah. Uh, whenever I think about that, I think about the order in which relationships matter to me. And I think for me, a sign that things are going too far down this like addiction, growth mindset direction is if relationships ever fall from number one. Interesting. And that's, I mean, and that's going to be different for everyone, but like my relationship with you, my relationship with family, with friends, with athletes, most important thing in my life. And I need to make sure those are never sacrificed because it's just not worth it. And it's just not worth my happiness. Yeah. I'm similar, um, except I think relationships for me are number two. Chicken enchiladas, number one. <laughs> Did I guess it? Sorry to steal your thunder, but I was like, this is going to be a couple's Dude, moment. I just nailed the joke and you just cut me off. High five. I'm, I'm still going to give you a high five for that. No, that's it's still your joke. I just wanted to say that we're on the same page, man. Awesome. Okay. We can, we can eat chicken enchiladas within the scope of our relationship and they can share number one. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so wherever you're at, you are fucking loved. This is a hard process. It's something we struggle with all the time. Like, we're talking about this and we talked about the number of people that listen to the podcast this week. Like, obviously it matters to some extent. We're not saying it doesn't matter. We're just saying, make sure you contextualize it in a healthy way um, for you, which means think about your day-to-day existence. What do you enjoy? Like for us, the podcast is so fun because we get to hang out, you know? And um, that's all it ever should be because as soon as it becomes more than that, uh, we're going to be really affected. And yeah, we've made money from the podcast now. It has all been a mistake of the process. Mm -hmm. And I think having the good things that happen to you be mistakes of the process you love is kind of the holy grail of you know, process-oriented life. And as the study shows, intrinsic, those intrinsic goals won't just lead towards better well-being. They're probably going to lead to better outcomes too. That is so beautifully put. A mistake, I haven't heard you say that before. Um, yeah. Mistake of the process is, I think, a term that I want to use again and again. Yeah, yeah. It's not about the outcomes of the big green vibrator. It's about <laughs> how you turn it on, how you use it, what you learn how from you that chafe. process. <laughs> no, 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 that's bad, Megan. I know, right? That's not the extrinsic motivation you want to avoid. In fact, I don't think they nearly looked at chafing enough in this study. <laughs> <laughs> um, from the big green vibrators. That's a problem that we need to rectify. Okay, so uh, a few Kipchoge follow-ups. This might be our last also, topic of the day. why is it green? Why is it green? Yeah, did, is, is that just a color that's came to you? Uh, yeah, uh, I, that's a great question. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I had some um, childhood experiences with the Jolly Green Giant or <laughs> yeah, something. I was like, green just seems like an interesting color. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I watched the New York Jets yesterday and just got really <laughs> fucking excited. Okay, some Kipchoge follow-ups. Uh, First follow-up, uh, first, read our article on Sean, or we're going to do a little excerpt from that to end the podcast. Um, but a listener wrote in, said they trained with Kipchoge for a week. Said the What a cool opportunity. Right? Isn't Did they amazing? keep up with Kipchoge for a week? Uh, is this a really fast listener? It is a very, very fast listener. Okay. Not Kipchoge level fast, because no one in history Kipchoge is. Kipchoge is the only Kipchoge level but, fast in the world. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of like top professional athletes listening, which is amazing. Um, and they described a little bit more heart rate monitoring in camps. So I think Kipchoge is probably much more dialed into some of the specific scientific elements than might be 
indicated in some of the interviews where he is so process driven that it almost feels like, oh, he's a soul runner. But in reality, I think that there's a lot of data analysis that's happening that we just don't see. And I'd be curious to what extent he's cued into that versus his team of like exercise physiologists and coaches yeah. are cued into that. It also looked like he was wearing a continuous glucose monitor in the marathon. Too, yeah. So if which, you look at photos, a high level of data yeah. under his, um, he's wearing an arm warmer and under it, you can see a, a bump where the CGM would be. Um, so interesting. Perhaps he was using it. Perhaps not. I'm not exactly sure. Perhaps it was a port for other substances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I shouldn't make that speculation, but... Yeah, I feel like we should probably avoid that. But um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting because he does take in a ton of fuel during these events. It's one of the things that he has changed the game on is he's taking in uh, you know tons of calories, like 300 to 400 from what I understand. So something to pay attention to. Um, what we did learn is that we were mostly correct in our analysis. That's awesome. Um, most people said that. Though, one place that people dis- did disagree online was that some of the zone one training that we characterized probably progresses more into zone two. So the high, high, high proportions of zone one are a little less high. It's more mm-hmm. like probably 50 to 58% like Killian was doing rather than 70 plus percent. Um, but we we did caveat that, that we were a little bit uncertain. And also that he's so efficient at those yes. miles too. And so those are still, he's clicking off pretty fast miles at the high end of zone one and into zone two. So yeah. um, he's, you know, he's Kipchoge for a reason. Oh, and then one other uh, listener described that they do a little bit more neuromuscular work than uh, was reflected in some of the things online, um, whether those are diagonals, strides, mm. things like that. Um, it's a little more Lydiard-like, which involves some power development, um, than just the pure like aerobic sessions. So you know, take that all with a grain of salt. The hard part, again, about trying to intuit what he was actually doing from just whispers is that there was some guesswork there. And um, I think we did a really good job overall um, based on what like no one said we were totally wrong, which is always good. I'm, I'm happy. Do you have any inclination as to where those neuromuscular sessions fell? Was that coming before the, like, was that structured into the easy aerobic run before the workout? Yeah. As I understood, it was just within some of the easy runs oh, uh, mm-hmm. each week, kind of like drills almost, um, working into some strides and things like that. Nothing too difficult, but enough that like, it wasn't just the big bulky aerobic sessions, which is something that is good for us. I mean, you know, that's what we would recommend to athletes is make sure you're doing your strides, make sure your speed is high, make sure you're doing your power is good. Um, so thinking that he does that, especially late in his late thirties, gives me a little bit of a, you know, my soul is filled slightly, uh, as if I'm a green, a green enchilada. It's really good. Well, we love strides over here. So I, I got excited to see that it yeah. was kind of confirmation bias of how we like to train. So it was great to see it, That was actually one question we were going through his training. I figured his neuromuscular development is already so optimized. Yeah. He might not need to do it, but it's, it's helpful to know that he does in fact yeah. do it. Um, and so maybe the biggest lesson is what we already talked about. Long runs are incredibly important to him in, in ways that we might not have even fully, um, you know, pushed home. So his long runs, 19 to 25 miles, as we discussed, um, I thought they were probably mostly zone three. So mid-level moderate. Um, but from what I understand at the end of these long runs, he'll often drop the fastest marathoners in the world. So, um, he's probably pushing Z4, which is like high end tempo at that point. These are ending hard. And it gets back to what we said with long runs. Like what I'm starting to think of with long runs is more for athletes to view it as a free day. It's not about the distance. It's not about the endurance. It's about stacking up the stress and then adapting to that stress. So this is the biggest day of the week. It's why swap only does one other workout each week. It's like that long runs a workout and it's a, 
it's a healthy thing, I think, sometimes to push to the edge a little bit on those days as long as you're listening to your body. And a free day, though, isn't a gift to fully shell yourself. Yeah, sometimes in the past, as a coach, I'm the sort of athlete, again, this is not the athlete I hope to be in the return, is when I have a free day, it's like, well, let's go try to send every single segment yeah. uh, around and you know spend a lot of that run, run in zone four. And it is really key that he's building from zone three to zone four. It's controlled. It's thoughtful. Yes, they're sending it at the end, yeah. but they're not sending it the entire duration of the run. Yeah, and for most runners, that will look more like tempos or for a show runner pushing the uphill a little bit or at least letting your body run up hills that you might not normally run and that'll get the same adaptations i say just don't be shy like you know some long runs are purely easy aerobic sessions where you just go as slow as you can and have fun that's a thing um, that's good for aerobic development but these aerobic lipidic power runs where you're generating the most power possible with the least amount of carbs possible in terms of your, what your body's utilizing not in terms of you're still replacing all your carbs but mm-hmm. um, in terms of the substrate that is being used are incredibly beneficial and that is ideal for the long run time and really quick actually we we went into de- detail on this on the patreon episode this yeah, week yeah, yeah. is that long runs are a great time to think about tempo that progresses from z3 to z4 whereas shorter tempos during the week a great time to have more time spent in z4 yeah. um and we kind of broke down the distribution of zones um across tempos of varying durations but again yeah. long run a great time to play with that progression not just jumping immediately to zone four yeah and then um another little bit of pushback we got was on the performance enhancing drug discussion we kept it very light intentionally um here was my quote from the article Plus, there is the unfortunate reality that all world-class athletes face questions about performance-enhancing drugs, though to my knowledge, there is no reliable evidence here other than very, very fast times. And for the love of all sports, we can't let top performance alone form the basis for doping accusations, though it's always healthy to ask questions. And I think we are the biggest skeptics in the world. Like if you've listened to us do enough sexy science over time, you're like, okay, guys, enough with the skepticism. And we apply that same skeptics, the same skeptical approach to PEDs, performance enhancing drugs. But at some point in time, like, yes, he is, we are being skeptical of him just because he's the best in the world. And I don't think it's always healthy to, you know, someone is so good to constantly batter them with performance enhancing drug discussions. We all know it's it's unfortunately more ubiquitous in sport than we even know yeah. and i think it's okay to go in with that understanding and not constantly talk about his achievements and say well there's yeah. there's doping yeah i think that i god i pray he's clean and i think he is uh you know maybe i'm the most naive motherfucker on the planet but i love him so much that i'm just like please for all that is good in this world um for the and, sake of we talked about naming our crib Kripchoge yeah, yeah. Uh, in our nursery so for the sake of Kripchoge yeah. and our baby sleep at night may he be clean <laughs> so true okay last little takeaway is on doubles he is doubles six days per week um and this gets back to you know every single athlete we're seeing do this and uh it's a totally easy thing to add like we we're talking about elliptical earlier that's a great way to add a double it's just it can be 10 minutes on the elliptical it can be a jog around your neighborhood with a kid in the stroller it can be a hike um but pulsing in these secondary activities seems to have some outsized benefits for adaptation and uh just note that he's doing them too as they all are and just don't do it on long run days yeah and don't do it if you are working seven to seven as a shift worker please don't do it either awesome okay so i wanted to end this discussion with um how i ended the article which i think resonated with a lot of people this gets back a little bit to the process discussion we had how all of us here you know doing this running journey doing the athletic journey doing the life journey 
are feeling similar things, even if we don't always conceive of it that way. This was a beautiful piece of writing. So I was editing, and I think I highlighted this entire thing, and I said, dropping bombs. <laughs> that was my official editorial consent that this was a great, a great, great piece of writing. So why don't you actually, it's so good that I want your voice to be reading it. So why don't you go ahead and read it? Okay, so this is how I ended the article, um, and it was on the final takeaway. So after a big training discussion, um, it gets into this. After running the new world record, Kipchoge had a tweet ready to fire off. He does everything fast. Quote, limits are there to be broken by you and me together. I can say that, and I am beyond happy today that the official world record is once again faster. Thank you to all the runners in the world that inspire me every day to push myself. Um, And that was his tweet. Um, And then I come back in. Even in his moment of triumph, he shows gratitude to every other runner. He seems like such a great human. What is it about running that makes our heroes so uniquely kind and caring? Eliud, Killian, Courtney, Claire, countless others— all wonderful people using their platforms to spread kindness and love. I don't know the answer to that question, but I have a theory. When Kipchoge pushes the limits of what humanity can achieve, he is feeling all of the same chemical and emotional sensations that you or I feel when we push our own limits. Yeah, we might be doing it a bit slower, but I think there is some universal truth to be found at the personal edge. Peer over the edge, and what do you see? I have done hill workouts where I have lost faith and then found faith over and over and over. Running sucks, and it's also one of the most beautiful things in the world, sometimes simultaneously. It can be a brutal reminder of death and a transcendent affirmation of life. As runners, we are constantly asking questions. Can I run my first 5K? Can I finish this hill workout? Can I overcome this stress fracture? We all feel the same physical sensations in that journey, a chemical shitstorm of pain and joy. Over time, with patience and grit, We learn that we can do all of those things and more, so we ask bigger and bigger questions, layering leaps of faith on top of one another as we explore our own personal edges. And for a few athletes on the planet, all of that questioning leads to the really big one. Can I run a world record? I think that in saying that we all inspire him, Kipchoge is saying that his world record attempt shares an evolutionary through line with our first mile, our hill workouts, our injuries. His achievement is the pinnacle of a pyramid of questions that all get at a similar idea. What is actually possible with my time here on Earth? And therein lies the fun part of an often not very fun sport. You have to layer 1,000 leaps of faith on top of each other to start getting a hint of the answer. And the answer is that the answer doesn't (laughs) matter at all. But the leaps... Nothing in the world matters more than taking those leaps. That was, I'm sitting here right now and I'm like, my vision is kind of funky. I think it's because I was staring so hard at you as you're reading (laughs) that. It was so good. But I think my favorite line is, what is it about our heroes that makes them so uniquely kind and caring and running? And it's, I mean, I think it gets at the idea of, I think each of these people has gone through the process so deeply that yeah. it makes you think about like what matters in the world. And it totally links back to the connection that we had earlier. The yeah, discussion. definitely. And you know, the big thing about running that I always come back to is like what Kipchoge feels and what I feel and what any listener out there feels is no different. Yeah. Right. And so whatever lessons we take away from running, whatever we do, whatever reason we do this is shared. And I think the magical thing about a runner is that you're showing up with this constant knowledge of your own mortality, Mm -hmm. of the lack of importance of the result, like of all these things that you're reminded brutally over and over, you're slapped in the face with this realization in a way that most people don't because like 
when we're just in our heads, we can have these lofty ideals and put things up on a pedestal. But when your body is distilled down to bones and gristle, you're like, yeah, I do fucking die because like I'm dying right now in a small way. And I think that that realization is so powerful. It's why runners can be, you know, I think so philosophical at times. And so, you know, transcendent also why runners can be depressed and hit really low points. So I think view, view running and view athletics as a way to accommodate all those feelings and hopefully grow a little bit so that, you know, by the time we actually do die, we have the teachings of thousands of deaths before it. That's incredible. I also think too, it's why running communities are so welcoming and That's open. So it's because we understand all of us and it's like everyone come in and share, yeah. you know, share in this existence, share in this feeling. And I just think about the relationships that we've made through running and those are more important than anything else. And I think it's because a bunch of people understand that relationships are number one on their list. And yeah. that's not always the right answer, but it is for a lot of runners. And I think that's such a cool thing. Yeah. It's like a big green vibrator for the soul. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get to the listener corner. Okay. Uh, I love this. This is really corner. topical too, because is, of what we've talked about. Yeah. This just keeps on building. I really resonated with the discussion in episode 120 about how that final 0.1% or per one or 1% can be a thief of joy and run you into the ground. Before I go further, I'll say I love all the content you put out. Swap is my favorite podcast to listen to, <laughs> and I'm so thankful to you two for diving into so much of real life in between the running. It makes the everyday struggles that sometimes feel lonely less so, knowing that badass people such as yourselves also deal with the same things. I'll stop the praise now because we don't need anyone's head to get bigger with the compliments, especially not the baby from Megan's saying, <laughs> very true point. His head is huge. We are a little bit concerned about that. It's very scary. Very scary. Anyways, I've had sides on a big race for the last year, and as most racers can attest to, I have thoughts about this damn race every single day since I decided to sign up. I am so excited. I've been visualizing the shit out of it. I truly cannot wait. Except life hasn't quite cooperated. Since signing up, I've dealt with an autoimmune disease diagnosis. Another challenge I felt like I was experiencing right alongside Megan. Multiple ankle sprains, aging grandparents, COVID, my general mo- emotional roller coaster, work stress. The list just keeps on growing. I guess that's just living life. But I realize that every time I seem to gain momentum in training or try to turn the screw to optimize, something in my life flares up again. Episode 120 came at a time when I also decided to say, fuck that extra percent, (laughs) and I am fully embracing showing up as I am, no matter what life throws at me in the meantime. Abandoning the focus on the extra percent doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I don't want it. But sometimes you just have to meet life where it's at and accept that the extra percent isn't worth being the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm. I'd rather be whole and happy than broken and fighting it all. After all, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be fun, right? I'm still all in on the race and finishing my first long ultra. It just might hurt more than anticipated. (laughs) But obsessing over the final few percentage points isn't what will get to me to where I go. I'm fully embracing that fuck the extra percent vibe, (laughs) doing everything I can without breaking and enjoying the fuck out of the process in the race no matter what happens. So huzzah. Here's to being undertrained, happy, and ready to yell fuck at anything in my way. Thanks again (laughs) for the fantastic content. Y'all are a light. Oh my gosh. Fuck the extra percent. That is where it's all about. I am so happy about that. Fuck the floundering. Yeah. Fuck (laughs) the floundering. And just know the floundering's okay. That is the process. So when we say embrace the process, we're just saying like all of that is fucking glorious. And uh, maybe the major conclusion from all of this is the culture of celebration that is unconditional is the antidote to almost all of these concerns. It's that you don't need to achieve something to have a moment of reflection that you are a badass boss. You're a badass boss just by being. You're a badass boss by failing most of all. And so embrace those failures, embrace it all. I mean, Megan and I have been through the shit so many times over in life and running and business and all of these things. We do not know what the fuck we're doing, but you know what? 
fuck it, we're awesome too, just like you all are. And there's going to be a lot more shit ahead too. And yeah. I think like once you've been through this shit, you understand that it's, it's empowering. It's like, you know, you can keep going through it because it's the relationships and the people that matter. Just change that shitty diaper and <laughs> we'll get right back to it. Thank you so much for listening to this point. If you've gotten here, seriously, big thank you. If you've gotten here too, you might also be a great fit for our Patreon. Yeah, patreon.com slash swap. Uh, we're doing so much fun things there. Uh, newsletters, posts, videos, uh, and it's a great community too. We love you all. Woohoo! Huzzah!